passage, Acts 13, verses 13 all the way to 52. So if you don't have a Bible, follow along with somebody in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible or somebody to follow along with, we'll have them up on the overheads for you as well. And so we're going to have somebody else read you that long passage this morning. So Chris, if you will read us Acts 13, 13 to 52. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled in them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more return to corruption he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For after David, I'm sorry, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, The people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. 
And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your word so that we might know you, we might understand you. God, thanks for giving us your word so we might see your purposes in the earth, Lord, so we might see your purposes in history, see your purposes in our lives. God, I pray that you would make your words alive to us today. Would you do what you promised to do, Lord, as, as your word will not return to you void. You accomplish what you have purposed. So, God, I pray that you would accomplish what you purpose in, the, in your word. And, Lord, I pray that we would all look up and see you, that we would behold you. And, Lord, that we'd be filled with faith towards you. And, God, we'd be inspired with joy over what you have done, that you have set us free. God, we ask that you would give us a renewed faith, renewed joy in you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, since I was a kid, I don't know about you, but I've heard my dad tell lots and lots of stories. So many times I, I lost count. Often it's the same story over and over and over again, and, and they don't seem to have much of any point. And uh, we, we, we have a little family joke that so many stories so often change that we'll have bets on how this story is going to end. My siblings, we get together around Thanksgiving time. We, we guess, well, how's this story going to end today? You know, what do you, what do you think? What's dad going to add? What new detail is he going to change? And I've heard about all his car wrecks and fights and fishing and hunting and stories about his bravery and pride and all kinds of dumb stuff that he did as a kid and some dumb things he did as an adult. Um, my dad's stories, though, are good to hear, even though I don't always know the point of them, because it's, it's good to hear what our heritage is, it's good to hear about our background, it's good to hear where we come from, and, and maybe good to hear what we want to be like and what we don't want to be like at times, too. And I'm sure all of you have, have some of those things in your life, too, where you, you want to emulate your parents, and in other ways, you don't want to be like them. But it's good to hear stories about our heritage. They serve to tell us what we can avoid and what to pursue. We can learn from them even if our parents don't intend for things to be learned. But if we're honest, we all have to admit that we, we get kind of tired sometimes. At least I do. I get kind of tired sometimes of hearing my dad's stories. He launches into another story. I know I look at my watch. It's going to be another 10 minutes, right? You know, 
And so, <laughs> kind of roll my eyes, but I know that we shouldn't, and I feel guilty about that. One day that we'll long to hear the redundant stories because one day they won't be with us anymore. Unlike, though, our parents' stories that we can sometimes kind of get frustrated with because they don't have, seem to have a point, God's stories, they always have a point. In Scripture, whenever God shares a story, whenever he shares an account, it always has a point, always has a reason. It's not just to ramble. We read a long passage of Scripture like that, and sometimes you can be like, oh boy, here we go. We have to guard against that because Scripture, unlike our stories, Scripture always has a point. It's always meant to communicate something. It's always meant to show something to us about God or about ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I have to guard against checking out when I hear a story in the Bible that I've heard before. And and in Acts, this is, I think, the fourth time when we've seen one of the apostles or, or one of the disciples preach the gospel message. And we can become familiar with this gospel story, this message of, of God's salvation, how he's worked in history. And we have to guard fiercely against that because the story has a purpose, has a meaning. It's meant to affect us. It's meant to change us. God's stories, they show where mankind has come from. His stories, they answer the greatest questions in life. Where do we come from? Why are we here? What's our purpose? What's my purpose? How did humanity get so messed up? Is there any hope for me, for us? God's stories, they, they address all these formative questions. Is God really at work? Does he really care? Is he really involved? Does he see what's going on? This story addresses that as well. And yet we can just kind of go, kind of go through the motions of reading through pieces of Acts where we just kind of ramble through and we lose track. What in the world was being said there? We check out. And there's countless stories of God in the account of history he's given us in the Bible and they all show us over and over again that God is over everything. From the very beginning of creation and how God is over everything even when man rebelled against God. God's at work and he always has a plan. His stories, they reveal his character, his nature, who, who he's called us to be, that his desire is to deliver mankind, to free us from what's gotten us into the problems in the first place, which is our sin and our rebellion against him. His stories show that he's always had a plan and a purpose. This story in the book of Acts, it's, it's no different. This account is... Not a random collection of early church history that Luke kind of sloppily put together. He's not just reminiscing here. It's a collection of God's stories massively woven together by God to reveal himself, to reveal his purposes and to demonstrate how we can be a part of his story. That's what this part of Acts is here for. We can have confidence in him as our creator. And he's telling the story through Luke and Even if we've heard it before, I want you to listen again. We need to hear it again. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You're hearing it for the first time. This is really the story of how God is at work. God wants us to get the big picture. So often we get so mired down in the small details of life, don't we? I get mired down, bogged down in the details of life, sickness, a cold, I had some tooth work done a couple weeks ago for about a week. My, my tooth was in pain. And all I could focus on whenever I ate was just, oh my goodness, I don't want to eat. You know, and, and you can forget that this won't last forever. Pain won't last forever. Difficulties don't last forever. That God really is in control even over the smallest things from 
our toothaches, to our jobs, to whatever you can think of. Through all the ups and downs of life, I think God wants you to see, wants us to see that God's at work, that he's at work through our heritage, through captivity, through good times, through bad times, through governments, through good governments, through corrupt ones, through dry times, through times in the wilderness, through prosperous times, long stretches that might appear to have no meaning. Wherever you find yourself this morning, God wants you to see that He is at work and He's bringing about His plans and purposes, even if we don't understand them. Because there's, if you're honest, there's lots of times we don't. We don't get it. I don't get why so many different things are allowed to go on in the world, but we need stories like this to ground us so we can see that He has a purpose and a plan and He's working that out. And that's really the thrust of this whole long story that Luke gives us in this portion of the book of Acts. He wants us to see that God's always at work to bring about his plans and that how we respond to him, it matters eternally. That's that's the main idea of the passage this morning. I I think God wants us to have is is that God is always at work. He's always at work. He's always at work to bring about his purposes. Sometimes it's not our purposes, but he's always at work to bring about his purposes and how we respond to him. How we respond to his purposes and his plans, specifically in Jesus Christ, that matters. You might be in the middle of a time of life where you can't see where God's at work. You ever have those seasons if you're not there now? Those times where you you can't see, God, how are you at work? Maybe you're in a place where you can't understand, see how God could could possibly be using this circumstance or situation. You might be experiencing a severe illness. You might be in a, in a desert time, in a, in a period of dryness or in the wilderness. Maybe you're perplexed by the government or by rulers of the land, and God, what is going on? Maybe the actions of sinful men might seem to be prevailing, and awful things might seem to be going on in your life currently. Maybe sinful people are committing sins against you. Maybe you're in the middle of a long, hard haul in life and you're weary and tired because you weren't, you're not really motivated by any larger purpose. You're not seeing God's purposes. And so you're not inspired by much right now because really man's purposes are not inspiring in the long run. Well, this message is for you. This message is for me. It's, it's meant, this passage is meant for us to lift up our eyes from ourselves And it's to behold God, to see him at work, to see his purposes and his plans and to trust in him and to give us joy and rejoice anew in him. And don't you want that for yourself? The first 13 verses of this passage, they show us something very critical, a truth that if we're to have the right perspective on our lives, these these, these first 13 verses from 13 down to to 23, actually 10 verses from 13 to 23, they They show that God's always at work to bring about his purposes. God is always at work to bring about his purposes. Paul, he he speaks in some very weird ways. You know, when we tell stories about our past, when we tell stories about what's happened, we kind of give an account that this happened to me, and that happened to me, and this happened to me, and that happened to me. My parents did this, and my parents did that. Paul doesn't do that when he tells history. He tells history from a very different perspective, and it's, it's meant for us to pay attention to it. He starts... With God. For some, for some reason, as he's, as he's talking about this, this account, 
He gives us a little background details. It might seem like that. Luke's just giving us a little bit of a travel journal. He, he's not. There's some other things going on. And if, if you read in Corinthians and Galatians, it sheds some light onto where they're going and what they're doing. Luke, he's, he's shifted. He's no longer writing of Barnabas and Paul in that order, showing that Barnabas was kind of the guy leading. Now it's Paul and his companions because God is, is raising up Paul to be his messenger to the Gentiles. And, and then for some reason, we see, if you look down your Bibles, we see a simple comment that John Mark left them and he returned or turned back to Jerusalem. We don't know why he turned back. It doesn't tell us why he turned back in this passage. Maybe he disliked Paul taking the lead now. I don't know. You know, those kinds of things happen. Maybe he didn't like the physical difficulty that it would have required to hike over the Taurus Mountains up to the plateau where the city of Antioch was. Or maybe he was afraid of the area because it was known for vicious bandits. Whatever the reason was, he, he turned back. Maybe he missed the comfort of his mother's large home and their, their servants in Jerusalem. Later in Acts 15, there's an implication from Paul that that he turned away and he was, he was turning away from hard work or turning away from faithfulness. And, and, and we find that actually Barnabas and Paul, they have such a huge dispute over this, over his turning back, because Barnabas later wants to take him with him, that they end up splitting. But God redeems that too. And one day Paul says that, bring John Mark, he's profitable to me. And, and then Mark ends up writing the gospel of Mark. In all of this, God was at work in Paul's life, Barnabas' life, and Mark's life. In any case, John goes back. They go on to Antioch, it tells us. In Pisidia, this is not the Antioch that Paul and Barnabas were sent out from. This is an Antioch several hundred miles away in what's today western Turkey. It's the, it was the capital city of the Roman province of Galatia. You might be familiar with that word Galatia because that is the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. He wrote to the people in this area. And he, and he tells them that he went to this area. He, he says, I first preached the gospel to you because of an illness. So that kind of explains why Luke is just passing through Perga. Why, why is it so quick? Why is he so quick to go through cities right to Antioch? Because those were on the coast. Why didn't he preach there? There's some speculation. Maybe he had an illness like, like malaria and had severe fevers that he, he wasn't recovering from. And so he goes up to the heights where they're like 3,500 feet above elevation in Antioch so he can cool down Something practical like that is probably at play, but yet God is using that, even those practical moments, even headaches or fever or whatever he was suffering from. God's at work in all of that to, to bring the gospel to the region in Galatia. Paul wasn't daunted by whatever illness he had. He went because he knew that he had a message that was more important than anything to do with himself. And so he gets there, and it says the rulers of the synagogue, they, when they sat down, the rulers of the synagogue sent word to them somehow, and they said, well, why don't you come and speak? Uh, we don't know why they invited him to come and speak. If they knew what they were getting into, they probably wouldn't have invited Paul to speak. The rulers of the synagogue really knew what he was about to do and how people were about to respond. Maybe they saw that he was dressed like a rabbi because Paul was a rabbi. But really, the providence of God had them ask him to share the message of the good news. And so he calls them to listen, and he stands up, and he kind of motions to them. Not because he was confident in himself, because he was confident in the message that you need to hear this. He began by sharing the story of the people of Israel, and as he began his account, he starts with God. Look down your Bibles just for a moment, if you have a Bible with you. 
I encourage you to do that whenever you're hearing God's word preached. Look down your Bibles and, and see, is this what is really in the word? And, and if, you, if you notice something, there's, there's like 13 verbs in this passage. And all of the verbs in this passage are about one person. They're about God. He, he tells the story in a unique way. He doesn't tell the story all about Israel did this, and Abraham did this, and Isaac did this, and Moses did this. And although all that was true, he saw that God was working in and through all of Israel's past, all of Israel's history. God was working in and through Moses. God was working in and through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the people of Israel. God was the one at work. And so he says, if you look down in your Bibles, it says that, that God was the one who chose their fathers. It's a very strong word. It, it, it means that they didn't, they didn't choose themselves. God said, I'm picking you. I'm choosing you for my purposes. And then God had a special covenant relationship with Israel based on his initiative. And then it says that, that God is the one who made them great, who raised them up by his strong arm. And God is the one who led them out of Egypt. And then in Paul's story, it's clear that God, he's chosen, he's called them to prosper and preserve them, he's saved them, he's delivered them, and he, he continues to remind them that God is at work. He says, God put up with you. God put up with our ancestors in the wilderness for 40 years. He put up with them, he endured them. Sometimes we can feel like that with us, but the good news is that's not how God treats us today, although God bore with them for 40 years of inconsistent unbelief, in the wilderness, and he gave them people judges to guide them. It doesn't say that judges were racist. God gave them judges. And then it talks more about God's activity. When they asked for a king, God gave them Saul. And then Paul alludes back to that wilderness time of 40 years. Even though Saul probably really didn't reign for 40 years, it's, it's, it's a figure of speech for Meaning it's, just, it's not an impressive time for Israel. This was, this was a time when, although Israel was not faithful, God was still faithful. And after Saul was unfaithful, God, despite this lack of faith in his people, he removed Saul, and God raised up David. Did you notice that all of this is talking about what God is doing? All this is talking about God's purposes, God's plans, God carrying out his purposes over thousands of years. And then notice what Paul reminds them that God said after David. He says, I have found, I so God raised up David, and he says, God found in David, the son of man, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. And so all throughout the first half of Paul's sermon, what is he trying to demonstrate? He's trying to show that the overarching picture of God's purposes and God's plans, he wants to show them that, that God is at work. He's at work to bring about his purposes no matter what happens with man, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation. And that's applicable for us today as well, isn't it? What circumstance do you find yourself in? What situation do you think is too difficult for God this morning? Are you in the middle of something you might not be able to figure out? Maybe you're not able to make sense of, of your life right now. Maybe you find that you're grieving over your sin and you're grieving over guilt Maybe you've made mistakes or something's bad has happened to you. Maybe you're dull or you're in the wilderness. Paul was preaching to 
a varied people. This morning, we're, we're not all the same here. We're all in different walks of life, circumstances, situations. But just like in history, Paul was demonstrating throughout history, God was working his purposes. That's good news for us too. God continues to work his purposes no matter what period we happen to be in, no matter what our life looks like at the moment. God's working his purposes, even if we can't figure it out. The people of Israel couldn't figure it out. They didn't understand how, how in the world was God working 450 years, what was going on in, in, in Egypt for 400 years, and then in, in the wilderness for 40 years, and then as they were kicking out Canaan for 10 years, and then all these things were happening. They, they probably weren't putting all the pieces together. And yet we need to put these pieces together that God is always at work. We need to look up and see God. And I think that's what God would have for us today is that we need to look up from our circumstances. Look and see back through history. Look in our own lives and see that God is at work. We need to see God's faithfulness and trust in Him and rely on Him. He never leaves us. He never forsakes His children. He carries out His purposes for the ultimate good of all those who place their faith in him. Now, now look down your Bibles, if you will, if you have a Bible, down in verse 23. Paul goes from the promises to David to say that of this man's offspring, of, of David's offspring, God has brought. So he kind of fast forwards a thousand years through history and says, of David, the one that was promised a thousand years ago, that in his seed all these blessings would come about, all his promises would come about. He says, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior. Israel had many seasons where they thought someone was going to be their savior. And yet now, Paul's saying, God was not slow, although it seemed to some as if he was. God did what he promised. And he always does what he promises. And the second truth that we're going to grasp in this passage, we're going to look at in this passage, is that God's promises are fulfilled in and through Jesus. And that's what Paul is trying to demonstrate here. He's shown this overview of God's history, that God's purposes are at work, and we're at work in Israel's history. And then he brings those purposes to fulfillment. He fulfills all of his promises to David, the the archetypical uh, king of the leader of the deliverer of Israel. He died. He was buried. He was not a lasting deliverer, but Jesus now has come as the true deliverer who came to fulfill all of God's promises. And how in and through Jesus, his promises continue to be fulfilled. We, we recently watched a, a kid's movie with, um, with, with my children. Can't remember what the title was right now. It was Ace Wonder. It was a it was a Dove-approved movie. You can be sure it'll be clean and really lame. And it was both. And, uh, but it has some good stories in there. But it also contained the, really the theme of every kid's movie about a dad in the past 20 years. And that's that, you know, in every kid's movie, you're guaranteed to see that there's going to be some story about how the dad is always failing to keep his promises. That's how the dad, he tries, but he just can't make it. Or the dad promises, and he doesn't really intend to deliver. He doesn't really follow through. And and so, you know, if it's Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey, where it was a dad who was never at his kids' games, his kids resented him, or, or even the movie Hook I referenced a few weeks back, where his dad was too busy with business and misses his baseball game. There's like hundreds of these movies. Like, can they be original with the idea here? Especially as a dad. I'm like, come on, some dads do actually what they say. Now, not perfectly, 
But there's a theme in countless movie after movie. And, and why is that? Why is it this theme is so prevalent in so many modern kids' movies? I think there's a few good reasons for that, beyond bad writing. I, I think, it's, I think it's, it's because so many of us have experienced parents who were flawed and unfaithful. So many of us have been recipients of broken promises from somebody we loved. Maybe you were promised you'd be safe and protected and you weren't. Maybe somebody promised they would provide for you and care for you and they didn't. And so maybe you you struggle this morning with fear and and you try to control your situation and you you try to, to make things and set things up so that things are safe and you won't be hurt again. Maybe... Maybe that's part of why there's some of these movies out there. Maybe a lot of us were promised that a loved one would always be there for us, and they weren't. And so people struggle not only with trusting other people, but trusting God. Maybe somebody close to you promised they would do things for you that they never followed through with. Maybe a parent or a loved one, a spouse, a sibling... Maybe somebody you love made promises that they just didn't keep or they, or they couldn't keep. And maybe you're struggling with bitterness and resentment and anger. As a dad, I know I'm careful about making promises to my kids, um, not because I don't want to end up in some movie, but, but that's a slight motivation maybe. And, um, but, but I want to make sure the promises that I can keep the other reason I don't make a lot of promises that I, I can't keep is that I can't guarantee that I'll be able to keep them. You know why? Because circumstances are outside of my control, and I know that. And if we're thinking rational individuals, we know circumstances are outside of our control. So we do something very natural, and we assume circumstances are outside of everybody else's control, which they are. But then we do something that's really wrong, but also a very natural response. We assume because things are outside of our control, because people failed us in the past, that circumstances are outside of God's control. And we assume that because we can't keep our promises, other people don't keep their promises, we assume that God doesn't keep his promises. And Scripture wants us to make sure, God wants us to make sure, Luke, Paul, they want us to make sure that you do not lose sight of the fact that God keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. We might miss his promises you might be mistaken and think that God promises you an easy life of health. You might, you, you might be mistaken and, and think that God promises you a life of wealth or that God promises you a life of ease. Those aren't God's promises, by the way, in case you're deluded into thinking that. But you are promised everlasting life. You're promised forgiveness and hope. You're promised that you have a reason for living that's greater than yourself. God's not like all the people who failed us in life. You know, and that can be a real hard barrier for you to get over, for us to get over. That can be a hard barrier for us to trust in God. And some people have a hard time looking at God as Father because their fathers were so awful. But God's not a man and he doesn't lie. And, and Paul is showing that. He's saying, no, God... God's always kept his promises over thousands of years. God was always at work. And actually, from the very beginning... God promised, as he's, he's cursing the, the serpent in the garden, he promised that one day, one day the seed of the woman would crush his head. 
one day has come for us. God's kept his promises. He's the one who chose Israel, who prospered Israel, who protected them and saves them. And look at verse 24 and 25. It, it says that, that John the Baptist, he understood these promises. He prophesied about Jesus, but John was not the promised one, and he knew that. John was just the bridge from the promises of the old to the promised one. Even though Jesus had said that he was the greatest man who ever lived, that John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm just like a runner finishing my race. I'm not even worthy of this menial task of a slave. It would be a slave's job to untie sandals of of people who are visiting. And, And John was saying, I'm not even worthy to do the menial slave's task when it comes to Jesus. He was far greater. And then verse 26, if you look down in your Bible, it says, Paul shows us that, that all of God's purposes are fulfilled in Jesus. And then notice he's addressing all who fear God. And, and, and to all of us today who fear God, this message is still true. To us has been sent the message of salvation. Let's not ever become familiar with that story. This is not just a, a nice account that doesn't mean something. This is the greatest story that's meant to be the anchor of our entire lives. The message of salvation has been sent to us. And in verses 27 to 29, we can see that God's prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus he goes on to explain how the people of Israel, they, they didn't recognize him. People of Jerusalem didn't recognize him. They didn't accept him. They didn't understand the message of the prophets. Although every Sabbath day, this is an indictment against them, every Sabbath day these prophecies are being read in their synagogues. They're being read in the temple. Every Sabbath day these prophecies about Jesus, and yet they didn't recognize him. And Paul wants them to recognize This is the one who's fulfilled all the prophecies. And we're meant to recognize that Jesus is the one who's fulfilled all of God's prophecies. But instead, they didn't. They condemned Jesus, the one who God had sent to fulfill his plan. And the people unjustly had him executed, even though he wasn't guilty of anything. He was executed, though, as part of God's plan on our behalf and in our place. God had provided from the very beginning his own son, and he planned to bring his son at just the right time to to take our place, to carry our sins, to take our guilt and shame, to remove God's wrath from us. And it says that all along, they're unwittingly carrying out God's plans. Even though they didn't know, they're fulfilling prophecy, even by killing him and taking him down from a cross in the exact kind of tomb they put him in. And it's, it's neat to go back and look at all these prophecies. There's so many prophecies that are fulfilled to a T. Not, a, not one of his bones were broken. They, they divided up his, his garments. They cast lots for them. There's so many very detailed, specific prophecies over thousands of years that they didn't recognize, that we're meant to recognize They thought that death was the final word, but it says, Paul says, that God proved otherwise. God raised Jesus from the dead. He demonstrated that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of God's plans. He was showing that they, man thought that they were in control, but all along God's purposes were at work and he was fulfilling his promise and he raised up his son, vindicating him and proving that he was the promised one. 
And God fulfilled his promises through Jesus. And he talks about how, you know, they thought it would be David or somebody from his line, but it clearly was not David because David stayed in the grave, although Jesus did not stay in the grave. He, did, he was not exposed to decay. God raised him up from the dead, bringing, he tells us, all the blessings of David. What does that mean? That would have been shorthand for God's covenant of grace, God's covenant with his people, God's gracious covenanting. All those blessings that come in the covenant, in the old covenant that they experienced, they actually have been fulfilled and come to us in full in Jesus Christ. Full access to God for all who believe. And then in verses 30 to 37, we can see that God's promises to his people, they're brought about in Jesus. And we find our purposes in God's purpose that he's made known in Jesus Christ. Is that where you find your purpose, by the way? Do you see that God's at work? And do you find your purpose in Jesus? Or do you find your purpose somewhere else? I'd propose if you're finding your purpose somewhere else, you're gonna be very dissatisfied. Yeah, things might taste good for a little while. They might seem good for a while. They might seem fulfilling for a little bit. But in the end, it's so empty because you're missing the whole purpose of history, which is Jesus. Anytime we look for purpose outside of God, we get discouraged, we get into trouble. There's no joy, no peace, no true lasting happiness outside of Jesus. But we can have peace knowing that God has brought about his purposes through Jesus and that He continues to be at work carrying out his purposes and his promises through us somehow, even when we don't understand it, as we follow Jesus in our flawed way on this great mission that he's called us to. And we have a greater mission and a greater purpose than just our jobs. Our jobs are important, but our jobs, we're meant to carry out our purpose in our job. Our job is not somehow separate from the Christian walk. You know, I think growing up in church, I, I had this notion that, you know, you do church on Sunday, maybe Wednesday night, but then the rest of life you do life. And, and, and we had this mistaken notion that somehow God's purposes are, are not to be at work in, in, in our daily lives. And God, God is saying, no, in everything, in every area of life, Christ is to be manifest in our lives and how we do our work, what kind of citizen we are, how we participate in government, how we relate to our neighbors. We have a purpose that's God's purpose in Jesus Christ. And it brings a purpose to your work. Maybe you're stuck in a job you don't like. God's saying, I've got a purpose in that job. It's greater than whether you feel like you enjoy what you're doing right now. God's got a purpose for each and every one of us. And it's really the mission that he's called us to do, to reflect him, to show him, to tell of him and everything and, and how we do everything. Look back down your Bible in verse 38. This is is the center of the the good news message, the center of Paul's message, the center of the message in Acts, really. The center of the Christian walk. The center of of, of the, the best message for us in our lives, where we need to be grounded and place our hope. Look in verse 38 and 39. It says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, I love this. You, you, gotta, you gotta love this part here. Everyone who believes, if you believe this morning, that, that, that's you. Everyone who believes is freed from everything. 
Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. By Jesus, everyone who believes in him is freed from everything which they could not be freed of by the law of Moses. That's good news. Some of you might feel like you're stuck in something right now. You're stuck in life, stuck in a relationship that's not going well, stuck in sin, stuck, stuck in circumstances, and, and you're wondering, how can I be truly free whether the circumstances ever change or not? whether the relationship ever gets easier or not. Maybe you're married to a spouse that doesn't love you back. How can you be free in the midst of those circumstances? How can you be free in a dead-end job? How can you be free in the midst of all these things? Well, you could find a freedom that really surpasses all of the circumstances. You can find that freedom in Jesus Christ. And that, that word free here, it's most often translated at 24, actually, about 28 other times if you include different variants in the word justified, that word freed is most often, except for two places, it's, it's most often translated as, as justified or, or how justice is carried out or vindicated. And, and so here, the idea to be freed means to carry the idea that Jesus has justified you. He's freed you in the sense of he's vindicated you. He's acquitted you. He's freed you. You've been acquitted of all of your sins. You've been acquitted of all of your weaknesses, all of your broken promises. Dads, it's good news for you. You've been freed and acquitted of all of your failings. No longer are you accountable for them. He bore our weaknesses even on the cross. He came to free us from the power and from the penalty of law He's acquitted us from the demands of law. Having justified us, he frees us completely. He granted us eternal forgiveness, something the law could never bring. The law of Moses had only provided temporary acceptance, and they had to keep sacrificing time and time again, and it couldn't justify. It couldn't really make a person righteous. It couldn't make a person right and able to stand before God on their own. And because all mankind has broken God's law and sinned against them, all of us are guilty before him. But now he gives us freedom. It says all who believe in Jesus Christ have the forgiveness of sins. We're declared right with God. We're free. That should, that should cause some excitement this morning. That should cause some joy. We get so bogged down in our lives, we forget the perspective that God has, that he's working and his promises are true and he came to give us freedom in Christ. Everything else is Secondary. I'm not saying unimportant. I'm not saying it's not difficult. Life is difficult. It's it's hard at times. But but our hope, our hope is in the freedom that he provides in the midst of difficulty and, and hardship. Maybe you're gripped with fear. Maybe you're in despair, despondent, depressed. Maybe you're trapped in guilt and condemnation this morning. Maybe you're wandering in the wilderness No mere human being can set you free. Moses couldn't do it, and you can't do it either. But the good promise we have is that everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
through Jesus, we have this promise of true freedom. But our passage, it doesn't end there. The third and final truth that we're going to grasp from this passage as we see God working on his purposes is, is not only working on his purposes and he's fulfilled his purposes and his plans in Jesus Christ, but and, and he's, he's given us the message of salvation. What we do with that message about Jesus, it matters eternally. What we do with the message about Jesus, it matters eternally. You know, I was thinking this week, we kind of suffer from information overload, and so often we have a hard time focusing and concentrating and being productive because we have so much, we're inundated with so, many, so much information in our society today. I mean, sometimes we just need to turn things off. You know, we still get junk mail, even, you know, in addition to everything else, I, get, I still get junk mail. I can't believe I still get junk mail at home. You know, these, like, who, who's the person who sends these things out? Do they really think that people pay attention to this? Now, if you do, I'm sorry. If you, but... We get drunk mail, we get this direct advertising, we have to sort through it all, figure out, is this worth keeping? Can I toss this? Is this a real, is this my renewal credit card or is this another one they're offering me? Do I, can I throw this one away? You know? um, is this, you know, this offer for low financing or is this some, something I really need to pay attention to here? And then in addition to that, we get spam emails in our inboxes and we sort through them. We, you know, we delete those emails promising the unclaimed inheritance that, you know, the, those emails from some guy in Nigeria who supposedly wants to split a fortune with us, if only we send him our bank account information and pay for his plane ticket, he'll wire it right in. And um, I hope you haven't fallen for that, by the way. And if you get one, please don't fall for that. Um, we get messages on Facebook, and we get posts from friends, and we have messages and posts about what people ate last night and what a funny face their dog made. And I'm not kidding on that one, actually. It's a friend of mine just posted it now. If it's you, I'm sorry. Um, about a picture of their, the funny face their dog was making. And it was kind of funny, but I'm like, Really? It's a dog, and then we have Twitter and social media and advertising and television and movies and online. We get so many messages thrown at us, don't we? Constantly. You know, in the worst cases, though, if I, if I accidentally delete or we miss something that we shouldn't, you know, I throw away my renewed credit card, I can call them back up and get, get them to send it to me again and say, whoops, I thought this was a scam, you know, somebody sent me another credit card. But the consequences don't last forever. If you delete an email accidentally, you can typically get somebody to respond back to, you know, with it. And if you don't see the latest post from your friends or their kids eating cake, you can probably get over it and pretend that you, yeah, okay, great. Did you see that post on Facebook? Ah, you know, you don't want to lie. Ah, yeah. And you just kind of smile and nod. And, but, you know, even, in, even if you have to tell the truth, and like, no, I really didn't see it. I don't care about your post at all. Um, <laughs> now, be polite. Don't actually say that. But, but, even if you miss the messages that people intend for you, you're probably going to get over it. It's probably not going to have life-shattering, life-altering implications. But the message about Jesus, it's not trivial, and yet we treat it as trivial sometimes. We treat it like so much spam coming into our inbox because we hear it so much in church. But it's not trivial. It's not just the same thing, oh, I've seen that offer before. And in verses 40 to 52, is, we can see that what we do with this message of salvation, this message about Jesus, it really matters, and it matters eternally. If we live in light of that message, it matters. Paul gives them a severe and a direct warning. Look down in verses 40 and 41. He, he quotes from Habakkuk 1.5, and it's, a, it's an old book in the Old Testament, a prophet. And he, he t- in Habakkuk, he's telling them to watch out for judgment because... If you don't believe, this judgment's going to come on you 
Don't scoff. And he's talking about the Babylonians coming and God using the Babylonians as a judgment. And by the way, that was horrible. But God was working his purposes in and through that. And so he uses that prophecy in Habakkuk. And he says, don't be astounded. Don't scoff at the good news as if it's too hard to believe. And he's telling you because if you reject it, you're going to perish. If, if you don't pay attention to this message, if you don't treat this message with the importance that it's due, it has dramatic effects. And, and here's the thing, here's the really cool thing. Some of the people listening, they got that message. They understood it as the greatest news ever that it truly is. And they responded, and they were begging Paul and, and Barnabas, could you please stay another Sunday? Tell us all about this. This is too good to be true. I think that should be our response every day. We need to preach that good news to ourselves, to remind ourselves, this is too good to be true. We need to know it more and more, come back again to that truth. But in the end, he says that some of the Jews became jealous. They opposed and contradicted Paul and Barnabas. And they were probably jealous because those outside the covenant would be brought in, invited in. And that was God's covenant people. How could the Jews, how could the Gentiles be brought into what God had reserved for the Jews, and so they were jealous, and so it has that kind of connotation. They were trying to protect, and out of their zeal, they lost sight of the fact that one of their very own prophets prophesied that they would be a light, that they would be means of being a light to the nations. And then and Paul says, he says that his fellow Jews, they thrust aside the word of God and they, they judge, look at those words in your Bible, it says they judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. It doesn't mean that they said, yep, we're not worthy of eternal life. Well, that'd be, that'd be stupid, right? Because everybody wants eternal life, everybody wants to live forever, or at least most people. But what he, what he means is, is that they effectively said, as they rejected God and his word and the promised one, they effectively were pronouncing judgment on themselves that they were not worthy of eternal life. That's a harsh judgment. By rejecting Jesus, but not believing, they're responsible for their own eternal death. And even though they rejected the message, God's plans, though, are still fulfilled. Because God's plans were always to make Jesus a light to the nations. And, and so Paul, he quotes that. He quotes Isaiah 49, 6. We have it for you on the overheads. He says... Quoting Isaiah, Isaiah 49, 6 said, speaking of God, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Now, he's speaking, he's prophesying of Jesus, but Paul does something unique here. He says, God commanded us with this. Whoa, wait a minute, is, is, what's Paul saying here? Well, I think Paul actually got what Jesus had said in Jesus' ministry when Jesus took this word and he co-opted it to his followers as he commanded them to go on a mission. He says, you are the light of the world. Just as I am the light of the world and I'm, I'm going to be a light to the nations, now I give my light to you and I, I want you to carry it out to the nations. And so Paul and Barnabas are the ones who are by extension bringing this message of salvation to the ends of the earth and they're doing it at great personal cost and risk. And we can see in, in Galatians and Corinthians that they in, encountered hardship and illness. And, and they were persecuted. It says in our passage, they experienced persecution at the hands of the Jews. And yet they were faithfully carrying out the purpose that God had called them to because they got this message. 
And just like everybody who's obedient to the commission that God has given to them, we act as lights to the world and we're, we're called to bring salvation to the nations. We have a purpose that is greater to be salt and light. Are, are you living that way? Am I living that way? That's the question for us. What are we doing with that message? Not just do we believe it, but do we see that this applies to us, that we're actually meant to live it out in every venue of life? We've been getting something greater to live for. Not just the ho-hum nine to five, not just making a, a career, not just getting lots of money, not, not having lots of kids, not getting a, a wife or a husband or whatever, or finishing school. All those things are, are good if we see them as subservient to the purpose that God has for us to be salt and to be light to the nations. If we see that that's how we are light to the nations. Look down at verse 38 in your Bible. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they heard that the Jews were rejected. They heard that they got the message now. It says, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life beforehand believed. This is a very strong it's a very strong word about predestination that he's really writing that all who were appointed are literally ordained by God to eternal life believe. And how is that meant to function for us? It's meant to be reassuring that all those who God's appointed eternal life will believe when the gospel news is proclaimed. So you can have faith and confidence when you go to somebody. If God has appointed them, you don't have to try to figure those things out. It's not for us to figure out, but it's for people to respond and believe. And this divine act of God's appointment, it doesn't remove the element of human responsibility by any means. See, both go hand in hand. See, the Jews were condemned and judged because they rejected. They're responsible. Human responsibility plays a significant part. What they did with the message was very important. They had a responsibility. They rejected Jesus. They're condemned to death. And yet others believe and, and receive eternal life. This divine act of God's appointment, it doesn't remove the element of human responsibility Paul was clear, the Jews rejected the message, they're responsible for their own judgment, but for those who believed, they received salvation and experienced the joy of the Lord. Now it's not for us to figure that, thing, that out. It, you know, there's a seeming contradiction there, it's not a contradiction, because we're called to repent and believe, we're called to preach the good news, and somehow, God ordains and draws. And Scripture doesn't ever try to explain away either one of those things. It says, this is the way it is, now repent and believe. What are you going to do with the message that I've given to you? You're responsible for the message. Not only responsible for how you respond, but you're responsible for carrying it out, trusting in God for the results, knowing that God's purposes will prevail. And then Luke shows that there's always going to be those who oppose the truth about Jesus. The Jews oppose the truth about Jesus, but God's purposes here continue to prevail anyway. There was a church in Galatia that Paul wrote to later probably about a year later. And then as they leave, the very close of the passage, it says the disciples, they were driven out of the city and they're persecuted. And that word persecution, it's a strong word. It probably means they were physically harmed, by the way. And they're driven out of the city. And they do this weird thing. They shake dust off their feet. Like, what's up with that? Like, what's up with the shaking of dust off their feet? It wasn't because it was a dusty city, particularly dusty. You know, when I come out of my garage, my garage is really dusty. I, I kind of wipe my feet five different times. But that's not what they're doing here. 
It's a symbolic way of indicating the people of that place, they were responsible for their rejection of God. They were responsible for the judgment they would receive. And it portrayed leaving behind the defilement of rejecting God. They didn't want to be defiled by rejecting God. And so it communicated that they were moving on so that no trace of the city was left, on their, not even on the soles of their feet. And in the end, I love how it ends. It says in the end, even though the disciples were driven out of the city, they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. What is up with that? Is that our response when, when people persecute us, when they deride us, when, when they reject God, when we bring the good news? How in the world do they have joy? Well, well, part of it's because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I think it's because they saw that God was really at work. They saw that overarching purpose that no, whatever it looks like, God's at work here. We got to share the most important message ever. We got to share that, that through Jesus, everyone can be freed, and we got to be a part of that. We know that God's going to be at work, and God's going to bring people to himself through us. No rejection, no persecution would stop the message of salvation in Jesus. They weren't discouraged. They knew that God was at work. God would continue to be at work. Why? Because God's always at work to bring about his plans. And they knew that. And they got to respond to him. And they knew that as they were carrying out his gospel message that there would be eternal consequences and God would bring many to himself through them. They were living for a purpose. They were living for God's purposes. What are you living for? What what are you setting your sights on? What are the purposes that guide your life? Couldn't ask the band to come forward and if you'll stand for a moment, please. We're gonna sing a song together, so let's go ahead and stand. Um, As we we close, I want us to, to look to God. To look to God to to confess, maybe you've forgotten him. Maybe you've forgotten him. Maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you've treated his message like spam. I think God wants us to respond to him in faith. And then I think that God wants us to experience freedom in Christ. Maybe you resonate with one of those things that's affected you. He wants us to find joy in him, freedom in him. And he wants us to see that he's, he's given us this message and he wants us to respond to him and he wants us to carry out that good news. So let's stand and sing together.